0: This podcast and its content are designed and intended to provide a place for conversation. Topics and advice covered in this podcast should not be taken as professional medical advice or emotional or spiritual counsel. If you or a loved one need professional help, they should seek a licensed professional. The views covered and discussed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of WCSG Radio or Cornerstone University. Ideas presented are not necessarily endorsed by WCSG Radio or Cornerstone University. Welcome to Through Rough Waters, a biblically-based mental health podcast presented by WCSG and supported by West Michigan Wellness Group. I'm your host, Zach Allen, and joining me is my co-host, Kevin DeCam. Kevin, how are you?
1: Good, Zach. This has become such a highlight for me. I'm having so much fun with this podcast. Yeah.
0: Also joining us this episode from West Michigan Wellness Group is Amy Zielstra. Amy is a licensed master's level social worker with degrees from Western Michigan University and Hope College. She has over 15 years of counseling experience with individuals, couples, and families using these are a lot of smart words here, (laughs) cognitive behavioral family systems, dialectical behavioral and trauma-focused cognitive therapy approaches.
2: Welcome, Amy. Hi, Zach. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. I um, have listened to all the past episodes and I'm super excited to be here chatting with you and Kevin today.
0: Great. So today we are continuing our series on anxiety. Uh, if you haven't listened to the last three episodes, it might be a good idea to hit pause here and go back and listen as we explore what anxiety can look like in our kids and how parents can help. We've covered those early childhood years, the adolescent years, the teenage and high school years, and today we are moving into young adulthood and college. Before we get too much further, as always, I want to start our time by spending some time meditating on some scripture. Uh, we've spent a lot of time this season talking to people who themselves are feeling anxious. I want to do a little pivot today. As And instead, speak to those of us who are listening, not because we ourselves are suffering from anxiety, but because someone we love is. Uh, This verse comes out of Proverbs 12, verse 25. This is from the message paraphrase. Worry weighs us down. A cheerful word picks us up. One of the most common questions people have when someone in their lives is anxious is how can I help? Using the wisdom from this verse, what are some ways we can use cheerful words when someone we love is worried?
2: Yeah, so I think first when I hear this question, I think, Validate, validate, validate. I think when um, our loved ones are telling us their feelings, we need to believe them. Even even saying, I believe you, is really powerful. Um, I think most of the time when we're anxious, um, we know that there's no magic wand. Um, we just really need a nod, judgmental ear. Um, and we need to hear something. We need to hear first that we're normal and also that um, the person we're talking to cares. And we don't want to fix, right? We don't want, we want somebody to say like, I hear you, that sounds really hard. I'm so sorry you're going through that. Or, and even something like, what can I do to help you? So I think this is kind of a crucial part that I think is so important is that, I think what happens is that support people want to give advice or minimize because they're so uncomfortable with the other person's discomfort, right? We just want to make it better. And so it leaves. But then I think when we minimize, obviously, the person doesn't feel heard and they don't feel supported. So although I think the intention is good, right, to be like, oh, you're fine or um, like it's not a big deal, right, the intention is good. But what happens is that it leaves the person feeling like, "Okay, I clearly don't I don't think I can go to that person when I'm struggling again. And so I think if you hear anything, I think the biggest thing to hear is validation means a ton when somebody is anxious. Yeah.
1: yeah. I'll take the lesser road again and even kind of what you were saying there, Amy, and talk about what the scripture is not saying uh, or what we shouldn't say using scripture like this. Um, It's very rarely uh, true. Uh, and, and reliable and valid that we can say it'll all be okay or everything is just fine. Not only like Amy said, does that invalidate how they're saying they feeling it, they're feeling it may just not be true, right? We don't know that everything is okay. Uh, we don't know that everything will be fine. We can't make that promise. So I think the one thing to be careful with when we're using cheerful words is that they're not (laughs) overly cheerful, uh, to a point of being false.
0: So as we continue our conversation today, this is kind of the capstone of our series on anxiety. We kind of cashed it as we're going to help our students. And we started with the littlest kids in kindergarten and elementary school and worked all the way up. Well, now we're to the students where they're not so much kids anymore. You're adults now. And like, this is a very unique time in life. And Amy, we're excited that you're here because you were telling us before we started this this recording. You love this age group.
2: I do. I do. I really, I'm so excited to talk about these people because they are so, they're special. And part of it is that this time in in life is just a really interesting phase, right? So we're, there's so many changes. There is situational changes, relational changes, developmental changes. It runs, you know, there's just tons of changes. And I think what we know, I'm sure that we've, ta- you've talked a lot about this throughout this series is that Even good expected change is hard, right? And so it causes anxiety. And as humans, we we resist change. Um, So it makes perfect sense that this time in life causes a great deal of anxiety. But I think the one of the reasons why I really love this age group is because it's kind of the. It seems to me like the first this current like young adults, are the first kind of crew that is raised by parents who are willing and able to let them have big feelings in their houses. <laughs> and I think part of that is so cool is because when they come into therapy, they're already well-versed in emotions. They're able to say, hey, I feel this way, and I'm looking for some help. Whereas I think, I mean, that's just the foundational work that you're you're usually doing in the first several sessions of like, okay, what is it that you feel? Let's like, let's kind of dive in and figure that out. Well, these kids are coming in saying, I already know how I feel, mm-hmm. right? I've been able to express it. And so now can we work through, you know, um, the actual problem that's here?
1: And they're not the weirdos. They're not the outliers. They're right. not, I was thinking like, yeah, maybe the hippies, but we sort of wrote that yeah, off, right? Totally. Generationally as those people who do that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But now it's the norm. It's mm-hmm. the majority yeah. is, is kids who are emotionally literate because of, as you said, families who have allowed it uh, as the norm. Mm -hmm. And and that is great. It is exciting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, oh, sorry. Well, pulling back the curtain a little bit, if I may, Kevin, when we originally started talking about this series, we thought we were going to end it with high school, but Kevin, your oldest is in this age group now. (laughs) And um, you're experiencing what this is like to parent someone who is an adult now. Like, why are you so, so passionate about making sure we have this conversation based on just your experience as you're living through it right now?
1: Yeah, it, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that I expected to enjoy it. I will say that. I I think that I was expecting that this would be a much more difficult time. How do, and, and it has its difficulties, right? I, I talk to families and, and parents who have kids even older than our oldest, who's 19 now, and um, and, you know, well into young adulthood, there's a form of parenting that's still required, but it's very, very different. And it requires, in order to accommodate the difference, a shift in parenting style. Mm. Um, we're not all the way there yet, but we have certainly had to sh- had to shift our parenting style. Uh, our son was home over the weekend for fall break. And um, again, some challenges, I would say, you said, is an adult, Technically that's Mm -hmm. true. I was I said this to his face, so I can say it again. Uh you look more like an adult. You definitely think you're an adult. Uh the law says you're an adult, but there's still a lot of ways you're not quite an adult, Mm -hmm. right? And so there's some challenges with that. But what's really fun is he's figuring out this adulting thing and he's learning to make decisions. And there's actually, I would say, I hope this is all right, but there's like a little bit of a relief as a parent. Um, and we've had this conversation too, when you now make a mistake or when you make a decision, those consequences now fall much more on you than on me. And there's a little bit of freedom in that. There's some fear in that. Um, but he's, he's done a great job. He's taken some things on, he's tackled some things. Um, and he's still learning because we're all still learning, but it's actually been a really fun and exciting thing, and I think with him in particular with his personality, um I also said to him uh, not long ago, I think you kind of have been waiting to be an adult for about sixteen years, and now we can just finally kind of let you a little more mm-hmm. um, and so yeah it's it's it hits home it's it's fun it's it is personal um and it's exciting it's it's mostly been an exciting ride
0: <laughs> now I want to latch on to a phrase that you said, figuring out adulting. Amy, what does that look like to these, the, I want to say kids because they're so much younger than us, but like these young adults, what does it look like as they're figuring out adulting? What are some of the, the challenges that might lead them to feel anxious about this transition?
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, my word. Well, I think like what I was saying earlier, there's just like you said, there's so many changes, right? So there's like people are leaving home a lot of times they're for the first time they're like they're starting new jobs or they're going to college they're making new friends and it's also like a time where you're choosing the people you spend your time with mm-hmm. rather than like the proximity of childhood people right and that's a big deal like you're making those decisions for for the first time maybe and also you're starting to date more seriously so that all that is the figuring out of adulthood right mm-hmm. and you're making there's just a lot of decisions that have to be made in that and it's the first, it's just, and it's, and I was thinking about when you were talking, Kevin, about how for you, it's a transition, transition yeah, too, right? Like much. your, your kids are also trying to figure out, okay, what is, what are my parents? What is my parent? What is my parents role in yeah, this, this experience? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think what's cool about this current crew, I keep saying that just because <laughs> I think like right now, like I was saying earlier that they've been able to like talk about their feelings better is that i have like i have so much hope for this because they're talking about therapy in a way like they're like they're talking about how um hey i learned this at therapy and i'm not there's no stigma there Hmm. right and so i think that's a big deal too and then i just think also like hearing you talk kevin like so i have like huge kudos for this, these parents, right? Like this, the willingness to allow their kids this freedom to talk about things like this um, is so valuable. So I think this figuring it out, <laughs> I wish there was, I wish we could put this in a little box and put a bow on top, but it is all like working through all these mm-hmm. big changes. And part of it, is, it is, is accepting that anxiety does come along with change. And that you're not weird, that you're yeah. anxious, right? You're really normal.
1: It's not a
0: sign that something's wrong necessarily. No. Yeah. It's a sign that change is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So before we go too much further, I want to address, We, we, you've mentioned this is a generation where like kids have grown up being able to feel their feelings. Like that's not a universal thing. Like what if someone's listening right now and they're in college and they're struggling because they were a family that they weren't encouraged to feel their feelings. They grew up in a situation where they kept everything inside, like, how dangerous is that to a spend the first part of your life keeping all that stuff inside and how do you go from avoiding all your feelings to suddenly feeling all your feelings like what is that how do you do that well <sighs>
2: That is a huge question. <laughs> yeah.
0: Go ahead, Amy. How in long in three do we words have? Ask?
2: <laughs> well, I think, um, okay. So what I see with people who have grown up without the ability to express themselves is that oftentimes people go from numb, right? Not being able to express at all, to possibly explosion, right? Where it's like almost blind rage or right real or or panic, right? So we're going from Pretty much zero to a hundred in mm-hmm. terms of feelings. And so one of the things that I encourage people to do is to kind of find the middle ground there, right? Part of it is is accepting, like is is identifying, right? I mean, some of this is just the idea of doing that foundational work of like, these are what feelings are, right? can you name more than five, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. some people really struggle with that because they have not been able to do that.
0: Yeah, that would have been me in college if a therapist asked me that.
2: Yeah, but, right, yeah. like mad, sad, um, happy, I right? And so I think there's the idea of like, what more is there? and And I always say this, but the normalizing of that is so powerful of just saying every human being has these feelings and you are not weird or bad or right. Even your parents who maybe didn't weren't able to show you how to do this had these feelings and almost to say like what a blessing it is that you're here willing to like see these because what we do know is that if you're not able to feel like, um, fear or what we consider quote unquote negative feelings, right? You're going to have a really hard time actually feeling positive feelings Mm -hmm. too. So they just come together.
1: Yeah. You know, feelings have weight, they create pressure, they have substance, right? And so even the physical laws of, of nature, you add pressure to anything and it will need to go somewhere. And that's often how I think about or talk to clients about emotions is that they have substance, they have weight. And so when you add pressure around that it will need to go somewhere and so it can be acting out like you said uh or it can be acting in but if we if we neglect our feelings they don't just disappear they will go somewhere Mm -hmm. you know the correlation between physiological problems like uh digestive issues reproductive issues urinary urinary tract infections and suppressed emotions is is a high correlation um and so Evidence that it will go somewhere, even if there, even if it will co- convert to some sort of um, uh, physiological problem, they will go somewhere, they won't go nowhere. And so we can either learn to deal with them to identify them to express them in healthy ways and to move on, or they will show up elsewhere, They'll come in the side door is another way I sometimes talk about that. Um, and so, yeah, we can we can act out by converting sadness or fear into anger, for example, and acting out in ways that we may or may not recognize are connected to our feelings, or we can act in depression, for example, is um, uh, or isolation, uh, which correlates, is often those feelings going inward because we're not dealing with them in a healthy way.
0: Yep. So earlier, Kevin, when you were you were talking about your relationship with your son, you you mentioned you look like an adult, the law says you're an adult, but in some ways you're still a kid. Like I, I look back to my 18 to 25 year old stage of life and I felt like I was a kid in a lot of those stages. And a lot of that had to do with how anxious I was to move forward. So if someone's listening to us right now and they're in this age group and like, they know that they're an adult, they have all the responsibilities of an adult, but they still feel like a kid inside. uh, What are some things they can do to kind of work through that anxiety that's keeping them from moving forward and keeping them from fully figuring out adulting?
2: Well, I think part, I think first and foremost to know kind of the idea of the brain, right? We've talked a lot about it, but the idea that your brain is not fully developed yet. So you're still, you're still working to, to have your prefrontal cortex fully developed, which means like reasoning and um, making like, not being impulsive. Right. And so some of that is just kind of allowing yourself to be human in that way. that like, we, we are not, we don't turn 18 and all of a sudden are able to be <laughs> fully functioning mm-hmm. adults. Right. Like we need so much support. And so part of it is knowing that, and accepting that and then also looking for support and one of the things i think about i mean we could talk for a long time about this right but i think part of it is 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 thinking about what you want for your life like having a goal even a 5 year of like okay this is this is the kind of person i'm i'm working toward and when you have that sitting out there then the decisions you make you can have more of a conscious decision like okay does that line up with these goals does that line up with the kind of person i want to be and sometimes it's easy too to like think of somebody i remember when in my 20s i had i worked with this nurse i was a social worker and i worked with this nurse who i just loved i just thought she was such a she just she clearly like lived her values and i thought of her often when i made decisions like okay would would patty do this mm. okay I think she would and you know that like helped me make those kind of choices but it's not easy right i mean i don't think that i could i could talk all day long and not have probably a great answer to that question
1: and our culture doesn't do as clear of a job uh at portraying heroes it used to be pretty easy right we you kind of knew who the good guy and bad guy were and you could aspire towards being like the good guy right? Because that was your goal. That's what you could look at. Uh, we've done a better job of understanding the complexity of humanity by showing uh, flawed heroes and villains even with some redeemable values, but that's become a little more confusing to know who I want to be like. And so, yeah, I think it takes a little more effort on our part uh, to to even write that down and and to create that aspirational goal of this is what I'm moving towards. Of course, our Christian worldview gives us the perfect example, right, of of what we should be aspiring to and how sh- how we should structure our lives in a way that uh, that lives out our values and our in our sense of personhood.
0: So you alluded to this earlier, Amy, that this is a, a time of transition where you're figuring out what your job going to be, like you're starting to date seriously. Like, there's a lot of decisions that you have to make that have some consequence when you're in this age group. So. It would be weird if we didn't feel anxious when we're going through this. Like, How important is that to normalize that feeling, especially in this stage of life, that it's okay to be anxious and it's okay to have these feelings to work through? Because these decisions have consequences that you're about to make.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, I think it's, I think that's crucial, right? I think some of the things that I do with my clients is to have them imagine that they're talking to their best friend and telling their best friend like what's going on in their life and what they would like how much empathy would they would actually have for that person as opposed to being so hard on themselves does that make sense mm-hmm. so i think that's so helpful to say like wouldn't you say to your friend like wow that sounds like a lot you're going through a lot. It sounds really normal that you're anxious right now. And I always say, huh, I wonder why you can't do that for yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And of course, like we know why. Right. But I think that's a really good perspective to look at it. um, That like, I don't think it's helpful to shame. I know it's not helpful to shame ourselves when we're having feelings. It doesn't work. I think if it did work, we would probably have an easier world, right? It's like,
1: And sometimes it's hard to even know that we're doing that, right? Mm-hmm. This is one of the ways that counseling can be valuable because when you have a, an objective and a trained experienced listener, listening to how you talk about things and how you talk about yourself. I'll put myself in the first person. As a therapist, I can listen for themes. I'm, I'm sometimes missing the content. I have to warn my clients. Sometimes I'm missing the details of what you're talking about because I'm listening a couple layers beneath the surface at what is the theme here? What is the message? Because you may not even be consciously aware of what's going on. But when we can listen and we can reflect and sometimes ask the right questions, we can hone in and understand that there's this negative self-talk that might be going on. And I don't even know that it's happening. And I, I, I love your example. I use a similar one. Um, you know, let's say it's, uh, I'm a failure, right? I, there's this deep belief that I've held. It's been shaped through early experiences where when I experienced things in a certain way, uh, the, the way I concluded, was the best to make sense of that is I'm a failure. I probably didn't do that consciously. Um, sometimes it's handed to us on a silver platter. Sometimes it's just that egocentric worldview that we have when we're younger, where we, where we come up with, a. um, a conclusion like that, but it's operating beneath the surface. And when I can when I can identify it and recognize that the idea that I'm a failure is is running beneath the surface, surface and shaping a lot of my behavior, I'll do the same thing and I'll say, okay, so you know, you've got a, a child, or if it's a young person, you've got maybe a niece or nephew, right? They experience something difficult, they lose a baseball game, they come to you and say, you know aunt Amy, how do I make sense of this? Right? Would you, would you come up beside them, put your arm around them and say, well, little Johnny, here's the thing. You're a loser. (laughs) You're a failure. You would never, you would never, you wouldn't talk to a complete stranger that way. And yet often we don't recognize that we're talking to ourselves Mm -hmm. that way. And so learning to have grace, not just for others, but even for ourselves and learning to deconstruct some of those messages that are operating beneath the surface, sometimes when we're not even aware of it, is it's just such a powerful thing.
0: So we've talked about some things that can lead you to feel anxious in this time of life, uh, moving from living with your family to being on your own, moving from the structured world of grade school and high school to the nebulous world of college and career and dating towards marriage. But one thing we haven't talked about that I feel like People in this age don't get a pass that this gives them anxiety. Often when we think of social media, we think mm-hmm. of maybe like bullying that middle, that happens in middle school and high school over social media. But I mean, I'm almost 40 years old and I feel anxious sometimes scrolling through my friend's social media feed. So speak to how social media, you've seen it impact the anxiety that these young adults are feeling.
2: Oh, Zach, that is... <laughs> such a good question
1: again 10 words or less oh man (laughs) we could could, spend 10 episodes on this
2: we really could we really could and i want to say too like i think that you're so right. first of all we would be doing a disservice on this podcast not to talk about it right but i also want to say that obviously or maybe not obviously but it is it's not a black and white issue right Mm -hmm. like nothing is actually but this too also isn't black and white like there are good things that come from social media but because of, I think this is the issue, because of the pervasive nature of social media and how it is just kind of everywhere, right? It causes anxiety. So I think part of it is that years ago, and I guess I'm totally dating myself here, but like when I was growing up, right? Like we could literally only compare ourselves to our literal neighbors, right? Mm -hmm. We were looking next door and to the kids that were like, in our classrooms, what clothes they were wearing or what cars they were driving, right?
1: You only had to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. Not everyone.
2: Not every single, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and the crazy part is we're not keeping up with actual people. We're keeping up with people who are putting out their shiny bits, right? Just tiny little micro of their world that are cute and put together, right? And it's just, it's so unrealistic, Mm -hmm. and I think, I'm, yeah, so like I'm 41, right? So I can, I get, like you said, I'm, I get anxious about my, like looking at my friend's stuff on, on social media. And I have my frontal, I hope, is fully developed, right? <laughs> my, my brain is fully developed. And I still am like, oh, look at them. They're having mm-hmm. so much fun. My life, you know, isn't great or whatever. So I think- It's an
1: automatic response, right? It's
2: absolutely. Just, uh, and so I have to do a lot of work on myself and I do this work, right? So imagine somebody whose brain is not fully developed and they're seeing all of this like beauty and they're seeing like- Mm Perfection. Yeah, perfection. And like like I said earlier, like the shiny bits and they're comparing it to what they know of their life that's complicated and hard and has suffering and doesn't always look perfect. And so it just, even if it's not- we know it's not conscious, right? You just said that. Like, it's not a conscious thing, but it's It's like the air that we breathe, right? We cannot get away from it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what, I mean, that's why we would be doing such a disservice. And another thing I want to say is that as humans, right, we, so one of our greatest needs is belonging. I think we all know that, right? And part of truly belonging is the ability to be vulnerable. So what's hard with this is that If we're internalizing and comparing ourselves to, I keep saying this, but the shiny bits, right? That's like a helpful thing for me to think um, of other people's lives, then we're less likely to feel comfortable and to show up as imperfect, to be vulnerable, which is really the only way to actually have true belonging. So I think what's happening is that we're finding that people aren't finding true belonging as much as they need because of social media. And that's what really, not to be a massive Debbie Downer, but (laughs) like that's scary.
1: Yeah. So, And, and we only barely are beginning to understand the impact, right? That's the other thing. I'm a late adopter of technology, so I tend to, you know, take a fairly negative stance. Um, and say really enlightened things towards my kids to help them. Like, if you don't put that phone away, I'm going to smash it with a hammer, right? That's really helpful to them. But what re- what's really going on is that, um, technology is rolling out so quickly now that we don't even have time to understand the impact that it's having before it's already spread across the whole world, Mm -hmm. right? The telephone was like you said, you used to only be able to compare yourself to the neighbors. Well, then there was this really technologically advanced thing that came along called the telephone, but that's almost laughable now compared to how we can connect. And actually, it took a really long time to roll out. And so while it was rolling out, we were acclimating to it. We were learning how to use it. And we were able to, while using it, observe the impact that it was having on us. And mostly positive. And so we could continue forward. When we're talking about these young people, it's the first generation that only knew a world that was surrounded by this type of technology. And even within it is rolling out so quickly that we don't understand how, not just the fact that every child and every human being has a phone, but that we all have these incredible um, uh, quickly advancing applications that everybody uses on them that is changing human behavior. Our technology is impacting us, not just, we are impacting the world through technology and it's happening so quickly that we don't fully understand the impact. But as we begin to much of the data is not encouraging. (laughs) Some of it is, is very concerning. And so, yes, there are positives. Yes, there are great things that the technology can be used for. Um, you know, and we're not even getting into AI yet, right? I don't think we have time for that either. <laughs> uh, but we just we just don't understand the impact, and I think we need to slow down and remember that there are some um, aspects of the human experience that were intentionally created and must be preserved and and maybe even protected from some of the new ways that we interact with one another
2: this is sort of obvious, but I think what also happens is that people feel so left out. Mm -hmm. There's just this left, like just, I don't think people, like I've said earlier in this episode, like people are not waking up and saying today I'm going to post pictures that are going to exclude all these people, right? (laughs) Like I don't, I don't think it's malicious. It could be, (laughs) but I don't think in general it is. But what happens is that when you see that this, this group of, people, even people you don't know, have all these friends or have all these like, oh, they're going to these events or they're invited places and you're not having that same experience. It feels like there's something wrong with you. And that
1: because the perception is that person is always with other mm-hmm. people all yeah. the time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and while I'm looking at this by myself in my living yep. room, I'm not.
2: Yep. It's and, not true.
1: It's not reality, but it's, it's my perception. Of
2: yep. It. Absolutely. And so I think that's the part. And then you think about the added complexity of if it is actually used maliciously, how incredibly dangerous that is, yeah. and it is right. That's, we know mm-hmm. it is in high school, where it's Middle like school. yeah, and it's and it's not because these kids are bad who are even doing it. It's because we are des we we are egocentric people who desperately want to like not feel insecure, and so it's just so complicated. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. I mean, it sounds really dire, and I, I, it, I think it sounds really dire because it sort of is really dire. Mm
1: -hmm. And at its core, again, it's it's not only normal; it's not only okay. It's central to how and why we were created, right? At its core, it's the desire to be known. But then, what sin produces is also this fear of it actually happening. And I've got a plug. You used the word vulnerability earlier as a. Um, sort of a consequence of what's being lost in, in the midst of all this rollout of technology. I'll make the plug for counseling, right? That it's a place, hopefully, that the proverbial safe space is a place where I can come and, in, in the presence of another human being, allow myself to be seen and known. And then hopefully, if it's done well, uh, be received with actual validation and actual grace and actual affirmation of who I am as a person. And it doesn't have to be based on my shiny bits. shiny shiny bits it doesn't have to be just based on you know some perception um, of uh, success or of belonging or of having it all together or looking just right it can just be me and my messy self and and i can in the presence of another human just let you see that for a minute and experience what is so deeply created into the very fiber of our being which is to let that happen and have it be okay
0: so I want to ask one more question of you guys before we move on to our, our Q&A. We've got a, an awesome question from one of our listeners that we're going to unpack in a little bit. Um, more than anything else, this age group that we're talking about kind of delineates from the previous 18 years of your life and that you don't have that safety net of parents anymore. You're not with that family of origin. You don't have someone else looking at you objectively from the outside and trying to guide you. Like for more or less, you're on your own. And like, if you've got great parents, of course, they're going to try to help you as your young adulthood. But one of the things of helping your kids who reach young adulthood is letting them figure things out for themselves. So if someone's listening and they're in this age group right now, they're in college, maybe they're just out of college and they're feeling like their anxiety is starting to spiral. It's starting to impact them. How do you know when it's time to reach out for professional help when you don't have that safety net of someone else objectively looking at your life on the outside saying, I think you should go talk to someone?
2: Mm -hmm. That's a good question. So I think um, that when our symptoms, right, of anxiety or or depression start impacting our daily lives to a level that causes us not to be able to function in the way that we want to, right, is when I think that we need to seek out professional help because then you're not then it is causing you to not be able to like meet your goals in life right and it gets in the way of of all the things like it's far-reaching right it's it's almost like it has tentacles right Mm -hmm. like where you think about how it touches every when you see how it's touching every part of your life and it's not a situational anxiety is when i think that help is probably really needed
0: And what is the thing that you can't get without that professional help? Like, how? why can you not process your anxiety well if you don't have someone, a professional therapist helping you? Like, why can't you just figure it out on your own?
2: I think part of what I love about therapy and what I love about being a therapist is that I get to be the witness to what's going on, right? Where I get to, as somebody's talking to me, they're hearing themselves speak, right? Mm-hmm. And so much, it's so interesting that half the time I say to my clients like, "Ha, huh, you figured that right out yourself, didn't you?" <laughs> right? You heard yourself and that made so much sense to you that like, "Oh my word, okay." Right? And then I think part of what my role always is is that is that normalizing, right? That like, "Oh my word, it sounds like you're a human being mm-hmm. who is struggling right now." And that I'm so sorry, I'm, I want to validate you, but I also want you to know that the, you're absolutely nothing wrong with you, right? You are ex- exactly, you're probably exactly where you're supposed to be. And the cool thing about getting help is being able to see our pain and our suffering that often it gives us like the best gifts, right? So I think about when I've had anxiety in the past and I've gone t- for help, that's the time where I've made like the coolest changes Mm -hmm. that I, and then also made me become the kind of person I want to be. So I think I, I mean, I hope that's, I hope that that's a good answer to that.
1: Yeah. The greatest thing that we have to offer as counselors is not our expertise. It's our objectivity. Mm -hmm. And I say that in every first session that you, it's still a common misperception, right? You're going to come see me because I'm brilliant and I have all the answers and I do everything correctly. Um, None of that is true. Um, But one thing that is absolutely true is that I am objective and you're not right. Because the least objective person in the world when it comes to me is me. Mm -hmm. And then the next least objective, but slightly more so is whoever's closest to me in my life. And then all the way out to perfect strangers who honestly don't care. (laughs) And so we do this thing called counseling where it becomes my job to care and it be becomes my job to get close enough to see what it is that's going on. But it's also my job to maintain the boundaries in a way that I can stay very, very objective because being so is one of the greatest things I have to offer you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so like Amy said, it's not about having the right answers that you don't have. It's really just about helping you hear yourself. I sometimes talk about feeling like a police sketch artist, right? You come in and describe the perp and I'll take some notes and try to doodle a few things. And then after a while, I'll hold it up to you and let you see it. Mm-hmm. And you can tell me if that's close or not. And if it's, if it's not, I'll change it and we can help until we really hone in on what it is that's going on. And then once it is, you get to see it for yourself, right? So whether Mm -hmm. that's like looking at a portrait you're describing, but can't draw yourself um, or whether it's, you know, we talk about the mirror too. I'm just holding up a mirror to what it is that you're telling me. And once you see it more clearly, which is hard to do when you're anxious, right? You're also not objective when you're anxious. Uh, Or afraid or depressed. And so once you get to a point where you can see what it is that's going on, often what to do next becomes much clearer. And don't tell anybody. uh, But that's kind of the magic of what we do.
0: So now we want to spend some time with our listeners. It's time for our Q&A section. Uh, if you have a question you'd like us to answer, you can always submit it anonymously at wcsg.org. Search for podcasts. Click on Through Rough Waters. You can also submit your question through email as well. It's throughroughwaters at wcsg.org. Today's question is from one of our listeners. Her name is Maddie. And Maddie says, I'm a high school senior who's been dealing with high levels of anxiety since the 10th grade. As I look to what I'm doing in my future, this anxiety is getting worse and worse. My parents don't believe in mental health issues, so they wouldn't be supportive if they knew what was happening. Many of my friends do support me as they deal with their own anxiety, but I don't want to burden them because mine is so severe and I can't get help. I'm turning to God to help me, but in your first episode, you said that most times God just won't snap his fingers and fix it. I feel like I'm anxious and stressed out about something all of the time. What should I do?
1: If I can jump in and just say, I, I want Amy to answer this because she's uh, fantastic at this stuff. And I can't wait to hear her response. Um, Zach, I'm going to reemphasize your original disclaimer yeah. at the beginning of the episode, probably what everybody glazes over as you're reading through quickly. Um, but that this is a really, really good example. And, uh, and we want to address that. Um, also, we're not engaging in counseling over the radio here because we can't, right? It mm-hmm. takes a little more than that. But I think we can talk about how we might approach a situation like this. Yeah.
2: First of all, hi, Maddie. Um, I'm so sorry that you're struggling right now um, without support, and it must feel lonely and really hard. So I'm sorry about that. Um, second, I want to say thank you so much for, for this question. I'm sure that your concerns are ringing true for other people right now, and I'm just impressed with your self-awareness and ability to name what's happening for you as that we've talked about a lot. This session is kind of – or the, is – One of the most important things for beginning to heal. So what I'm hearing is that you've been praying, which I think is a crucial step, but that you're also looking for some other tangible ways to address your anxiety. There are a few of them. So the first one I'm thinking is that in any given situation, especially those that cause anxiety, we want to identify what is in and out of our control. I think it's interesting because I bring this up to I actually bring this up to almost every client I see because it's something that we all struggle with. It's something I struggle with also in my life, and I think what happens is it at first it brings up more anxiety because it's like, wait a minute, but but I I think I can I think I can tr- control it all, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, we know we can't, and when we focus so much on trying to control everything it causes so much more anxiety so when we can really decide we even like draw draw like the circle like the circle donut right where it's like the little part in the middle is the things we can control and all the stuff outside is the things that we can't and we focus on how can we just work on the things that are in our control and that can really help with anxiety So, and another suggestion I have or something that I use in client sessions all the time also is noticing and challenging our negative thoughts. So, anxiety is very clever, right? It lies to us. It's really good at lying to us. For example, you're saying in your head or you're thinking, I'm no good at this or no one cares about me. Imagine what feelings come up with that, right? So, it's sadness right? Um, Anxiety, shame, insecurity, all of those. And so think about what behaviors then come from those feelings. I imagine you would isolate, right? You would be closed off. You wouldn't want to be around people, right? And so now I want you to think about if you were to change that negative thought and instead think something like, I have some really good friends who care about me. I know that God is here and cares, right? So your feelings then change, too, to maybe something more hopeful, like hopefulness, fulfillment, openness. So I think then in with those feelings, right, our behavior changes. So you can see how you would maybe be more open or behave differently or just be more willing to put yourself out there, right? I think that, Kevin, you said this earlier, like anxiety and gratitude really struggle to coexist, right? If we replace our anxiety with gratitude, it takes its power away. But I, I, I hesitate to say it, right? Because it feels like, oh, just be so thankful, right? Hashtag blast, all of that, right? And it's like, that is not true. But it is, it's never that there's nothing good, right? We can always find some goodness that's happening in our life usually. And if we can focus more on that, it can help. I want to say to Maddie, like, this is one of the hardest times in your life. High school with all the work and expectations, social issues, problems with parents. Um, it's an anxiety-ridden time, right? I want you to know that there's nothing wrong with you. You are not alone in this, right? And also, I want you to hear that like this is not the end of your story. This is not the end, right? There, is, there could be a time in your life that you'll be in a different position that you maybe be able to get help. And I want you to, I know, I think this is the most important part of what I've said, but I think um, I want you to hear that God cares about the big and the minuscule things in your life, right? So he is trustworthy. Um, He doesn't promise that you won't suffer, right? We all know that. But he promises, promises, promises to be with us in our suffering. So I want you to hear that from us here, that he is with you in your suffering. And we also are so sorry that you are suffering.
1: Maddie, we don't know all that is involved in your situation. That's why we're being careful about being really prescriptive here with our, with our response. Uh, but Amy's talking about some really good things that anyone can do to um, address anxiety in pretty much any situation. Uh, you're kind of alluding to the idea. This is secondary, maybe, and I'm, maybe I'm reading between the lines. But you're alluding to the idea that your parents just wouldn't understand or be supportive, and that that might make it hard if it were true um, to get help, especially professional help. Um, maybe this is me as a parent, but I I, I want to make sure that we're challenging that and addressing that it, because I don't know, um, and it may be that you don't know. It could be absolutely true that your parents don't wouldn't understand this and wouldn't be willing to help. It also might be true that that's a perception. And so being willing to talk with people, maybe going to some other trusted adults or to some mature friends and helping them, uh, or asking them to help you, um, evaluate something like this. We've talked about curiosity before on this podcast and it's really hard to do when you're anxious. But being willing to be curious about a situation rather than assuming uh that you know what will happen or what is going on and just evaluate that. It might be that you're absolutely right and your parents will not understand this and won't be able to be helpful. It also might be that your parents are, are more reasonable than that. And that if they really, really understood that you were suffering and that you were hurting and that you really needed help and you were able to let them know that, maybe they would hear you. Maybe they don't see it quite how you see it. Maybe they um, don't see it the way you would want them to see it. But your parents, I have to imagine, do love you and, uh, and would want to understand what it is that's going on. Um, so there might be something that you can do there too and, uh, and get some help with that if necessary.
0: If there's nothing else that you get out of spending time with this podcast, I hope you understand how important therapy is and how important reaching out when you have these feelings and um, looking for help. Uh, Kevin, as the lead therapist of West Michigan Wellness Group, thank you so much for, for all of you for supporting this podcast. How can someone reach out to you guys at West Michigan Wellness Group if... They are finally ready to take that step. They're finally ready to start their therapy journey.
1: Yeah. And we love to help. That's why we do what we do. That's why we're here on this podcast. We're so grateful for the for the opportunity and the platform to be able to reach out to people like Maddie uh, and hear from them and respond uh, to Maddie and all the other Maddies who are dealing with things that are going on in their life. Um, and our hope is that if you need to take that to a next step, you will be willing and and courageous enough to reach out. And then we do our best to make it really easy from there. So look us up online, West Michigan Wellness Group. Uh, Website is westmichiganwellnessgroup.com. We've got a big, bright, shiny button in the corner uh, that makes it easy for you to reach out and contact us. You can also just give us a call directly at 616 600 uh, you can also just send an email info at westmichiganwellnessgroup.com. We try to make any way possible for you to connect with us. And then from there, we'll, we'll take it and get you connected with the right person who can help you.
0: Yeah, we've also got all that information at wcsg.org. I want to say a big thank you to Amy and Kevin for joining us today on episode six of Through Rough Waters. Join us again in two weeks as uh, we start our new series and continue this uh, journey through the world of mental health. As we wrap things up, Kevin, would you close us in prayer? I would
1: love to. Lord, we're so thankful that you are our personal God, that you um, don't mislead us by uh, making us believe that we won't experience difficulty, but you do offer comfort and peace in knowing that you'll be with us when we do, and uh, you surround us with other people. Uh, We do belong. We belong to you, and we belong to each other, and we have um, caring individuals in our lives uh, if we can find them who are willing to hear and willing to offer us the ministry of presence and willing to listen, willing to validate. Um, You also make it possible for us to receive professional help, Lord, and we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to do that and to help uh, as a way of expressing your love and and being uh, the embodiment of your love to others in this broken and hurting world. So we thank you for this opportunity for the ministry of WCSG and um, the podcast and the platform that we have to reach people. And we just pray today that anybody who is listening that needs this kind of help um, will reach out and find it and uh, that we can we can all continue to be filled up through each other by you so that we can be a blessing to others throughout the world and a light for you um, in this hurting world. All these things, Lord, we bring before you and we pray in your name. Amen.